Hey there, this is Brian Zond. We'll get to the sermon in just a moment, but I want to let you know I have a new book out, The Unvarnished Jesus, A Lenten Journey. It is a devotional for the season of Lent. takes the reader from Ash Wednesday, which is February 26th this year, all the way right up to Easter Sunday. So it's a great way to journey with Jesus through Lent, learn how to see Jesus beyond the varnish of the assumptions that we often make. Uh, you can get this book on Amazon, so go ahead and order it now so you'll be ready for two or three pages per day of Lenten devotions, The Unvarnished Jesus, available now at Amazon.com. We get to come into the house of God to worship God together. You know, we do this every Sunday morning, such as the habit of some, but we don't treat it as something commonplace. Uh, we were praying before the service. That's what I was praying about is that God would help us to keep this sacred place and the sacred time sacred. So I've enjoyed so much singing songs of worship with you. I'm excited to get into the message this morning. If you're new around here, my name is Derek. I am one of the pastors here at Word of Life, and if you are new, maybe this is your very first time with us, I'm glad that you're here. Hope you feel at home, and if you're new, I'd love to get connected with you. You can find me out at the Welcome Kiosk right after church. I'll be out there. I'm the tall, good-looking guy at the Welcome Desk. Come find me. I'd love to connect with you. Uh, But you're here this morning at a good church. I love this church. I love Word of Life Church for a number of reasons. In particular, I love Word of Life because God is making a family out of a bunch of strangers. One of the beautiful things about the church is it's not just a place to hang out with your friends. Now, certainly friends are good. I hope that you have friends. I hope that you are making friends. Perhaps you were hanging out with some friends last Sunday night when our beloved Chiefs put the hurt on Jimmy G and the 49ers. Hopefully you were able to gather with some friends around that. Friends are good. Hopefully you are making friends here at church. That's a good thing. But the beauty of Christian community is that we're not only hanging out with our friends, we're learning to love people who aren't like us. And that's one of the things I love about Word of Life Church. I love our diversity. I love that God is bringing together all sorts of different people that probably would not associate with one another outside of the work of Jesus in our lives. Now, don't look around the room, but there are people here that you probably would not be friends with or hang out with, but you are here together with them, worshiping Jesus, and that to me is something very, very special. Well, as you know, we are in the season of Epiphany. The historic church has given us these these seasons, these ways of marking the year all around the story of Jesus. And we find ourselves now in the season of Epiphany, which is all about the brightness of Jesus. Epiphany is a way for us to remind ourselves that Jesus, though he was born in a Jewish family, is not just the light to a bunch of isolated individuals. Jesus is not just the light for the Jewish people only, but that Jesus is the light of the world. 
And so I want you to hear these words from Jesus. You heard Joanna uh, give the scripture reading just a moment ago, but I want you to listen again to the words of Jesus. This is what he says. This is in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, Jesus says, are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen. These are the words of Jesus speaking to the church. This is the words of Jesus speaking to us, church, about our identity. And this is what Jesus says about us. He says that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Who are we? We are salt and light. And so that will serve as a sermon title. That will be our topic for this morning. Let's talk about salt and light. These two very common things in our lives, salt and light. Let's talk about those this morning. Let's start first and talk a little bit about salt. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Now, as salt... Jesus, as it were, is sprinkling us throughout the earth that we might provide moral flavor and preserve society from collapsing in on itself due to moral rot and decay. Salt, a very common product that you have on your kitchen table, perhaps salt today, just like in the ancient world, provides flavor for food. So if you make a bowl of soup and you taste it and it's like it's missing something, it needs a little bit of salt. The little bit of sprinkling of that salt is what provides flavor but in the ancient world, before the days of refrigeration, salt was also used to preserve food. So they would salt down meats in order to preserve it. Now, we are gathered here on Sunday morning. This is what Christians do. We gather on the Lord's day to worship the Lord Jesus, to be formed in the ways of Jesus. We are gathered here, but we do so to maintain our saltiness, to maintain our Jesus flavor. Because Jesus wants us gathered together to keep our saltiness, but Jesus intends on sprinkling us out in the world so that we can provide flavor, indeed moral flavor, and so our presence in the world can work to preserve the world in righteousness, in integrity, and in wholeness. 
We are gathered here, but we are being sprinkled into our workplaces and into our schools and in our neighborhoods that our very presence in the world might preserve life, that we might have a life-affirming presence in the world. Now, as the salt of the earth, let's be clear, we are not to be the morality police simply pointing out everyone's sin. Salt does not preserve food by calling out the rottenness of food. That's not the way salt works. Salt preserves food simply by its presence, so preventing decay. So no, Christians aren't the morality police of the world pointing out what everyone else is doing wrong. Certainly that's not how we live as salt because in doing so, we quickly point out what everyone else is doing wrong when we are ignoring our own failures and imperfections in how we sometimes fail to represent the Jesus that we love. Indeed, I would submit to you that we lose our saltiness when we get all harsh and critical and judgmental. When we are holding out the finger of indignation, pointing out wrongdoing, I think this is how we lose our saltiness. We lose our Jesus-y flavor in the world. And Jesus said, when we lose our saltiness, The only thing then we're good for is to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Rather than entering into a critical fault-finding spirit, the way we are salt in the world is by the way that we love. Our presence of love in the world is how we are salt. Not by calling people out, but by the way that we love. This is how we are salt in the world. Remember, Jesus here not only calls us the salt of the earth, he also calls us the light of the world. Not only are we to, not only are we to be salt, but we're also to be light. Jesus says the light of the world. And what's interesting about Jesus calling us the light of the world is later we'll hear Jesus himself say that he is the light of the world. In in John 8, Jesus makes this proclamation. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus proclaims he is the light of the world. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus not only calls us salt, but he says that, that you, that is you collectively, that is the church, that is we, we are the light of the world. So, so which one is it? Is, is Jesus the light of the world or are we the light of the world? Well, as is the case in most of these seeming contradictions, it's really a both and. That Jesus is the light of the world and in some sense we too are the light of the world. It, it works like this. We are to be a mirror reflection of the light of Jesus in the world For the sake of the world, we are following Jesus. And so we are walking in that light, but that light is not for us alone. Let me say that again. 
We are to be like mirrors. How are we the light of the world? We are to be a mirror, a mirror reflection of the light of Jesus in the world for the sake of the world. We are indeed following Jesus and walking in his light, but that light is not for us alone. This again is the message of epiphany. This whole season epiphany is about the brightness and the light of Jesus, that this light cannot be hidden, that this light is not only for us. It would be selfish and it would be unchristlike for us to experience the light and love of Jesus and hold it for ourselves. When Jesus calls us the light of the world, he says, you church are to be one big mirror reflecting my light into the world. This is not only the season of epiphany, but this is the gospel that Jesus, King Jesus is not just our personal king, but indeed Jesus is the king of the nations, that Jesus is the king of all peoples. And what we are doing is simply reflecting the light of that truth into the world. This is rooted in our very creation. God chose to create humanity, male and female, in his image that we might bear and reflect God's good image into the world. This is why we were created. And the light that we are reflecting, this light of Jesus is the light of God's love. This is the pinnacle of what we know about the God that we worship. The God that we worship is love. And Jesus, in all that Jesus came to do and say, is to communicate that to us. And so we become the light of the world by reflecting the light of God's love. Think about the life of Jesus, how he does this. Jesus is born to demonstrate God's loving presence among us. We're here in Matthew chapter five. It's interesting that Matthew's gospel both opens and ends with this message. Chapter one of Matthew in talking about the coming birth of Jesus, an angel appears to Joseph saying, your betrothed will have a child. She shall call his name Jesus. He will save God's people from their sins. This is in fulfillment of the prophecy that says a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he opens with this. That though you might feel separated and alone, the good news is that God is with us. And then at the very end of Matthew's gospel, it ends with Jesus meeting with his disciples, telling them to go into the world with this great light and message that King Jesus has come. And Jesus tells his disciples, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. But in Jesus' very birth, it communicates to us that the very God of love will not stand far away from us, but that God will be with us. We see that in the birth of Jesus. And of course, Jesus taught us about love, did he not? Jesus said, this is the greatest of all the commandments, that you love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second commandment is just like that one, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. 
extending neighborly love even to your enemies. Jesus was born to demonstrate God's loving presence with us, and Jesus taught us the ways of love, and then Jesus demonstrated it upon the cross. So God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And not only in the cross, but also in the resurrection. In the resurrection, what we see is that the light and love of God cannot be extinguished even by death. But through his resurrection, Jesus proclaims that the light of God's love is greater than the grave itself. And then Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And there we see that the love between God the Father and God the Son can never be broken, but they belong together in what we call Holy Trinity. In all that Jesus did and taught, we see the love of God, and now we are called by Jesus to reflect that love into a dark world. And I want to talk about this morning three places, three areas, I think, where we can shine that love. Let's start with the first one, number one. Church, why don't we, let's shine the light of God's love into the darkness of tribalism. Tribalism. You know that we live in a very polarized age, a very polarized time, a very polarized culture where the forces of culture want to push us into tribes whereby we are identified by those that we are against. Now, politicians know this. Ad agencies know this. This is how advertising works. It all works with tribalism, but the problem and the downside to tribalism, as you have experienced, is divided and separated tribes create fighting and discord. And when we become extremely tribal, we don't know how to get along, and the end result is fighting and arguing and discord and, and smoldering contempt. And what that does is it, it creates this, this dark cloud of animosity. Or in modern language, we call it Facebook. <laughs> this dark cloud of animosity. Oh, I don't, I don't want any part of that. And see, that, that, that darkness is all rooted in tribalism. And so as followers of Jesus, let's shine the light of God's love into that dark world, a love that is big enough for everyone to belong. One of the great triumphs of Jesus is that Jesus defeats racism, classism, and sexism, tribes that still linger on today. The Apostle Paul makes this announcement in Galatians chapter 3, this is verse 28, where the Apostle writes, There is no longer Jew or Greek, that is ethnic tribes. There is no longer slave or free, that is social class tribes. There is no longer male and female, those are gender-based tribes. Rather, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the great triumph of Jesus. 
That in Christ, that in King Jesus, there is no white or black, rich or poor, male or female. There is not one tribe that can dominate over another tribe, for we are all one in Christ. We know this. The world doesn't. And so when we just jump into one of those tribes we begin to darken the light of this truth, the light of God's love. The problem with tribes is that when you get into a tribe, you get convinced that your tribe is 100% right on all matters all the time. And there's no room for listening. There's no room for dialogue. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to shine the light of God's love. Let's do that in the darkness of tribalism. Number two... Let's shine the light of God's peace into the darkness of rage. That is peace as an expression of God's love. Rage, as you know, is all the rage these days. I'm mad and somebody's going to hear about it. This is popular and for some people even entertaining. This has happened, I'm mad, and now somebody's going to hear about it. Rage is all the rage. And this, what I would call perpetual rage, comes from tribalism. As long as people stay within their tribes, what they live in is perpetual rage. No listening, no room for conversation, no room for dialogue, nuance, or perspective. Because again, Tribes are convinced that they are right and the opposing tribe is 100% wrong. There's no compromise, no perspective, no conversation. And the end result is to, to live with this perpetual rage. Because people locked up in their tribe, they know we are right and they are so wrong. And it stirs up that rage and it keeps it going. It is indeed perpetual. Now, certainly there is injustice in our world. There is pain and suffering in our world. There are things in our world, yes, that cause us to be angry. And it's okay to experience the human emotion of anger in the face of pain and suffering and injustice. That's all true. We just can't let that anger settle in our hearts. We can't live with that anger because it it malforms us and it darkens the light of God's love. The Apostle Paul, again, encourages us, Ephesians chapter 4, by saying, be angry. He says, it's okay, be angry, that's okay. Experience anger, get mad, this happens, it's a human experience. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. So be angry at injustice, yes, But you can't live with that anger. You can't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, again, Paul here is speaking in metaphor. Sometimes people want to use this quite literally. I've heard of people, uh, I've heard of uh, married couples in particular, that they try to carry this out literally. And so they'll be having a fight with their spouse at 10 o'clock at night. And they're like, well, we got to work this thing out. We got to, can't let the sun go down our anger. Let me tell you what, one of the best things you can do if you get in a heated argument at 10 o'clock at night is go to bed. 
I believe in sleep. I believe in the value of sleep. If I could create a religion, it would be salvation by napping. I believe in it. Some of the best things you can do when you get all heated and angry at night is just go to bed. You wake up the next morning and you're like, I don't even know why I was so upset. You're upset because you're tired. You need sleep. You need eight hours of sleep. Now I'm preaching the gospel. You need eight hours. Go to bed. The point here is that we can't live with anger. We can't live with perpetual rage. God has not created us to live with perpetual rage. You just can't live with that kind of anger in your heart. Because here's what happens. If you live with that anger, it all begins to swirl inside of you. And it's forming resentment and animosity and bitterness. And what happens is you give room for the devil. Indeed, you begin to play the role of the accuser and the devil. So no, uh, don't let the sun go down. Your anger means, yes, experience anger, but you, you got to get rid of it. You can't keep it forever. And then Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 to say, so put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander. He says, you got to put away all that stuff because that doesn't belong to your new self, your true self. That belongs to your false self. That belongs to the old you that's passing away. This new self of yours, that's, this new person you're becoming in Christ is a pure reflection of God who is love. And there's no wrath and slander and anger in the heart of God. God is pure love. And so we are being formed in that. So Paul says, put away that stuff. Bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another. So you can't, you, when you're living in perpetual rage, you can't be kind. Paul says you got to strip that stuff off, put away that stuff and instead be kind to one another. Instead of a heart that's hardened by bitterness, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is how we shine the light of God's love into our world. This is how we express the peace of God as an expression of the love of God in the world. It's through kindness, through tenderheartedness. And through forgiveness. So let's shine the light of God's peace into a world of rage. And then finally, number three, let's shine the light of God's hope into the darkness of despair. See, the pollution of perpetual rage has left people in this place of bitterness and cynicism and despair and that's an awful state of existence. But we who are followers of Jesus are the hopeful hope bringers who shine the hope of the gospel into the darkness of despair. See, for followers of Jesus, we have hope and we live in hope because we know we have Jesus. As long as we hang on to Jesus, as long as we stay connected to Jesus, as long as we are communing with Jesus, as long as we're keeping Jesus first and keeping our attention on Jesus, then there is hope. 
To me, it does not matter how dark our world gets. As long as we have Jesus, we have hope. We have hope that we can hold on to a real hope that transforms lives. And so for those that are living under the darkness of despair and they're about to give up, we come with a message of hope. As long as we have Jesus, we have hope. That's, that's my hope for the world. My hope for the world is not what I can and cannot do because I will fail. My hope for the world is Jesus. If Jesus can live in us and Jesus can live through us, and if we can shine the light of Jesus, we have hope. If we got Jesus, we got hope. Just like as a Chiefs fan, if we got Mahomes, we got hope. Come on, somebody. A dark cloud of despair was over the Chiefs' kingdom during the Super Bowl. It was the fourth quarter, down by 10. But I didn't lose hope because we got Mahomes. So with seven minutes, 21 seconds left, I had not lost any hope on third and 15 because we got Mahomes. And what Mahomes is for the chief's kingdom, Jesus is for God's kingdom. People are like, are you talking about football or Jesus? I'm calling both games. As long as we have Jesus, the church will make mistakes. I will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. But as long as we have Jesus, I believe that there is hope for this world. Because Jesus said, as he called and commissioned us to go, being these hope bringers in a dark world, as the Jesus who called us to be salt and light, that Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. And we have a moment this morning to once again renew not only our commitment to follow Jesus, but to once again reconnect and indeed commune with Jesus through the practice of Holy Communion. And so I want us to get prepared for the table by hearing the words of Jesus. Jesus said that he is the light of the world and we are that mirror reflection of that light. But Jesus also said that he is the bread of life. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in John's gospel, chapter six. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And as you can imagine, that created a little bit of controversy. What's Jesus talking about? So the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, and friend, Jesus is saying to you today, listen to these words. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. He's going to say this three times. This is the first time. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh, second time, and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is our hope. 
Not that we get whisked off to heaven, but that when Jesus comes, he will bring us into new embodied life again. He will raise them up on the last day. For, Jesus says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is to drink. Those who eat my flesh, now the third time he's mentioned it, and drink my blood, abide in me and I in them. Of course, Jesus is not talking about cannibalism, literally eating his body and blood. Rather, what Jesus is doing, he is instituting this holy sacrament of communion. And how do we abide in Jesus and he abides in us? How does the light of the world abide and live in us as a congregation? As we come to the table. And we eat this bread and drink from this cup. In doing so, we are living in the light of the world and are so empowered to reflect that light into the world. So let's prepare ourselves for communion. Stand up with me if you would. We're going to offer a prayer together.